Well, all right. Alex, thank you so much for bringing your story. That was really meaningful. And I'm so grateful for the Lord's work in your life. Praise Jesus for that. So, appreciate you. Um, Tonight, we are going to finish out the hymn. So we got three verses in the morning. We got three verses tonight. And um, there's a a shift, a second stanza. And even in the video, I really enjoy that video. You can see the second stanza happening um, when things start reversing, right? And what we're going to talk about tonight is Christ is preeminent over redemption. So the first stanza is over creation. The second is over the new creation or redemption. But I want to start tonight. I feel like we need to be inspired a little bit. And so I've got some inspirational things on the screen. So let's start with those. This first one, be the best version of yourself. You've never heard that before, but this is powerful. Okay, here's, uh, here's my second one for you. This one's a little longer. Bear with me. I'll try and make it inspirational. Always, always strive to improve yourself, to be, become better today than you were yesterday. Always strive, right? That was, that was yes, a mouthful. That's really not as good as the first one, is it? Okay, but I, I put that one in there because I like the striving and becoming better We all need that message, don't we? Okay, this one is beautiful because there's a butterfly. So we'll see if it's true. Okay, what's it say? You have all you need within you to become the best version of yourself. Isn't that encouraging, inspiring? You have all that you need inside you. Okay, let's do one more at least. Okay, life's not about finding yourself. Life is about creating yourself. Man. Oh, I just feel so warm inside, don't you? It's about creating yourself. And then uh, the final one, this is a great theologian, Venus Williams. I really like this one. Okay, just believe in yourself. Even if you don't, pretend that you do. And at some point, you will. Let's go! Okay. All right, it's a little comedic moment. Um, These are really easy to find, and some of them are famous, some are not, but I just typed into Google, like, inspirational, believe-in-yourself things. And um, here you go. This is what we found. This is the best that the world has to offer on Google, I guess. And, man, it's pretty bankrupt, isn't it? We're obsessed with this, though. I mean, all of us are. We're obsessed with being better. We're obsessed with investing in ourselves, with growing, with um, being more mature. There's countless books written under um, the self-help genre. Some are helpful, some not so much. Self-care is another thing that's really common and talked about a lot today. Um, Self-actualization, defining myself, finding myself, personality traits. The Enneagram's kind of not as popular, maybe. I don't know, but it really was there for a while. We were all talking about our wing, whatever, (laughs) right? And then it's gone. So we're just always thinking about ourselves. And don't get me wrong, some of this is good. Like, I want to be a better person. Like, I want to be a more patient dad. I want to be a more generous friend. I want to be more servant-hearted. I want to 
emulate Christ, like when I read my Bible, I'm inspired and I want to do those things. I'm an advocate for growth, maturity, mental health, all of it. I'm an advocate for that. But I think the world totally misses a key question, and you saw that in these quotes. The question is how? And the butterfly one, I think it's like you just have it in yourself, some, some mystical way. You've got enough in you or something. What's the source of transformation? How do we grow? How do we change? How does our life become more like Jesus? And I think the world's message is just we're left to ourselves to figure it out. Just try. Venus Williams, just pretend, and eventually you'll, you'll be there. Fake it till you make it, right? So I would say the Bible presents a different reality, like this question, is there enough power in myself to redeem myself from my brokenness? That might be the butterfly quote, right? Is there enough power in myself to redeem myself from my sin, my brokenness, my bentness, my self-centered nature? And the Bible would say resoundingly, no, there is not. The whole narrative of Scripture um, leading up to Christ is just the same story again and again of of humanity um, being broken, and sometimes really broken. If you read like the book of Judges, for instance, um, fascinating book in the Bible, it's just this spiral of the Israelites just turning their hearts away from God again and again, and it gets more and more grotesque. And the last two or three chapters of Judges are some of the hardest parts of the scripture for me to read because you just see horrific things happening among the people of God. They've turned their back on God. And the Old Testament just shows us that again and again, there's like a character that we think, man, this could be the Messiah, but it's not. David is a great example, a man after God's own heart, a great character of the Old Testament. And then I mean, he basically takes a woman and makes her his wife and then kills her husband and lies about it all. And it's just horrific. And what the the Old Testament is showing us is we are not enough to redeem ourselves. We can't. And so then the prophets in the Old Testament are looking ahead to something God will do. There's these moments in Jeremiah and Ezekiel where they're looking at a new covenant where God will change like our hearts They talk about it in different ways, like putting a new heart, you know, the heart of stone with the heart of flesh. And there's this promise of a new thing, and that's what happens in Christ. The Bible hinges around the gospel narratives, and Jesus is the core message of the Bible's narrative. Humanity is horribly broken, each one of us, but as a whole collectively, but God in Christ has made a way to redeem us. And that's what we're talking about tonight the second half of the hymn. Christ is preeminent not only over all creation, he's preeminent over the new creation. He's preeminent over redemption. So let's jump back into the hymn there in Colossians 1, verse 18. It changes. The language is no longer talking about creation, but now it starts talking about redemption. And you'll see it right away. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. 
So here we see the focus shift rapidly from creation to the church. In verse 18, Christ is the head of the body, which is the church. And so the headship picture, Christ is over the church. He's the authority of the church. This metaphor of um, the church, which is all believers, it's like capital C church is what I'd call it, right? It's not your local church, but it's the global church of all believers who are in Christ. And this metaphor that we are a body and Christ is our head, this is a common uh, Pauline metaphor. He uses it in Corinthians and Ephesians. Um, he uses it often. Believers in Christ are the body, are body of Christ and he is the head. And it doesn't just speak about authority, although clearly authority and headship is in view here. The body, your body does what your head tells it to do, right? Your head is in control of your members. But no, not just authority, there's also this sense of intimate connectedness um, to Christ. This uh, sense of provision. There's a mysterious unity with this metaphor that we are unified with Christ. And Paul says that in lots of different ways in his letters. Themes of connection, sustaining, provision, fulfilling, we get that all from Christ. He's the head and we're the body. Listen again to, to Mu on this verse. He says, against people who were arguing that ultimate spiritual experience had to be found in places in addition to Christ, Paul holds up Christ as the one who is the true and only source of life for the body. Now, we're talking about the church and Christ being the head and the source of all fulfillment true and only source of life for the body. This is very uh, relieving for me. And maybe some of you, it might be too. Just think about it. Um, the church, it's got broken people in it, right? And though we are redeemed in Christ, we still carry around a sin nature. And last time I checked, every church had a head pastor that was a human. And so... I know I've lived long enough that I've been around church drama and hardship and even some division over methodology or things like that. But this is so relieving for me, even just knowing like I'm an elder at my local church, like I help lead my local church. I'm, I'm involved in leading the campus ministry at Kansas State, but I am not the head of the church. And that's so good for me because I know my own weakness. I know that I am a sinner that I still tend towards selfishness, that, that I am not Christ. And so it is so relieving, like the pressure is off. And, and even as I process like baggage that I have with the church or experiences where the church let me down, I know, okay, Christ is the head. And he is the perfect leader. And he is the head pastor of the capital C church. And so it, it takes away this like pressure that I put on the church to be perfect because I know that, that I'm not perfect in this moment, that God is working in me. And this is not a cop-out. Of course, there, there are good leaders and there are bad leaders. There are good decisions in leadership and bad decisions. And we try to, to make good ones as we lead, but, but I'm not the thing that it hinges on. Like I'm an elder. I serve, I'm going to serve for an, as an elder for a little while now. But man, the, the gospel moving forward in Manhattan, Kansas hinges on Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. And I'm just a little part of the body. And so maybe that'll help you see 
your leaders through that lens of grace. And even when they make mistakes, even when they hurt you, um, I've been through some hurtful things at church, but I have grace for those people because I know they're just a part of the body and God's working in their life. Our hope is not in perfect leadership. Our hope is in Christ. Okay, let's keep moving. In uh, verse 18, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So what is going on here? The firstborn language again, right? We talked about this word. Maybe you'll remember it, primogeniture, okay? And what this means is when you say the word firstborn, you mean authority, like you're over it. You're the firstborn, like you inherit it. You're the leader of it. And so if, if Christ is the firstborn from among the dead, that means he is over all those who are born from the dead. Resurrection is in view here. Jesus is not the first person to be raised. We actually know in the New Testament, Christ raised three people from the dead. We have those stories. We also know in the Old Testament, in Kings, there's some crazy stories in Kings. A couple people were raised from the dead by prophets there. So this is not like he's the first one, but it means he's over all of those that are raised from the dead. And I think what he has in mind here is a similar theme Jesus is preeminent over all of the new created believers because we participate in the resurrection. And that's what it means to be a believer. This is a theme in Paul. Later in Colossians, just in the same book, in 2 verse 20, he's going to say, you were crucified with Christ. And then in 3 verse 1, he'll say, now you've been raised with Christ. You should fix your eyes on things above because you've been raised with him. So let me, um, let me make a case for this and show you in Paul, in his letters, how he does this again and again. He talks about us in this way. Galatians 2.20, famous verse, you should memorize it. Amazing verse. I'll read it. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. They're passed away like the old has died, but the new has come. You're a new thing in Christ. Colossians 3.1, I mentioned this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And then Romans 6, 10 through 11, Paul is uh, writing here about baptism and what it means and what it symbolizes. And at the end of this, it's just super clear. He writes about Christ, 6, 10. He says, for the death he died, Christ, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also, pay attention, must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This metaphor of living as resurrected people who have died with Christ but then been raised with him, it's just pretty amazing and beautiful. And I want you to meditate on it. I want you to think about it. What does it mean that you've died with Christ? There's a part of you that has been crucified with Christ. A place where this is probably um, one of the most clear would be Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul talks about um, all of us were dead in our sins and transgressions, and we followed the ways of Satan. That's 2 verse 2. Um, just a, a really scary verse. 
And then in verse three, he says, but God, who's rich in mercy, has made us alive together with Christ. And so here, this picture that Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead, this is what he means, that Jesus is preeminent over all those who have been made alive and resurrected with Christ. He is over the church. That's who the church is. We are those people who have died and been raised with Christ. Through Jesus' resurrection, he's initiated something new. It's a new way to live. Let's keep reading. We'll read 19. For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and we'll keep moving, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This word reconcile is a key word. It's going to be repeated in the next paragraph. It's a very relational word. This is the word that Paul uses uh, later in some of his letters when he talks about um, a husband and wife being reconciled to each other. So it's an extremely relational word. And so what's in view here is because of sin, there was a fracturing of relationship with God. Humanity was dead, Ephesians 2, but then the cross offers this new life and restoration and reconciliation. So with all of our inspiring um, quotes to start tonight, this is the how. How do you become the best version of yourself? It's through the cross, the blood of the cross. This is how you are reconciled, how you are redeemed. Now, I just want to make an aside here as we think about what does verse 20 mean? Because this can be mistaken. Some people will use this verse to try to say like universal salvation is in the Bible. And that this verse means that at the end of times, God is so good that he will just um, reconcile everything, even Satan. And there will, there will absolutely be no judgment and no hell. So I just want to say that's not what the Bible teaches. And I don't believe that's what this verse teaches. So let me read you a quote from uh, Mu again on 120. Here's what he says. Colossians 120 teaches then not cosmic salvation or even cosmic redemption, but rather cosmic restoration or renewal. Through the work of Christ on the cross, God has brought his entire rebellious creation back under the rule of his sovereign power. Of course, this peace is not yet fully established. The already not yet pattern of New Testament eschatology must be applied to Colossians 1.20. Let me pause there and explain that sentence. So the, the already but not yet pattern of New Testament eschatology. What this means is eschatology is the study of the end times, um, the study of the eschaton when Christ returns and the new creation is ushered in. And so as we study that, there's this pattern where Christ has already achieved it and accomplished it, and it's already here, but it's not yet fully realized. And when Jesus comes back, he will fully realize what he's already accomplished. That pattern is seen throughout the New Testament. So Mu is, is saying this is part of that, that Jesus on the cross has made peace, the whole creation that's rebellious. He's brought under his rule, and, and it's, let me read the end of it. Um, the end of the quote, I stopped there, and it says, while secured in principle by Christ's crucifixion, and it's available in preliminary form to believers, universal peace is not yet established. 
And I think we all see that, that this verse doesn't mean it's already happened because just look at the world. It's not universally peaceful. Just look inside your own soul. You know that there's things going on there. So what this is about is the, the future promise of the redemption of the world. And Christ is preeminence over this redemption. So this reminds me of a great theologian whose name is Sam Wise Gamgee. Sam Wise? Okay, so I love The Lord of the Rings. I love, um, I read the books when I was too young and I could hardly get through fellowship. And then I'm like, I just don't understand this, right? Then I got a little bit older in high school and I started reading it and rereading it. And this is before the movies were made. So did anyone read the books before they watched the movies? Yes, yes, let's go, a couple of you. We are kindred brethren. Um, Frodo is so much better in the books. So if you have time, it's worth it. Um, Samwise Gamgee, at the end of the, the whole saga, in the end of the return of the king, he wakes up and he's with Gandalf. And, and Sam is just awesome. He's like one of the best characters for sure. And he says, what is happening in the world, Gandalf? He says, are all the sad things coming untrue? And you know, I don't know Tolkien's theology, but that is just a great picture of the reconciliation of the broken world. That we just know how messed up the world is. That is the promise of heaven, that all the sad things will come untrue in Christ. And so I don't know if you've lived through broken family. I don't know if you've lived through abuse. I don't know if you've lived through seeing someone die that you love. I don't know what brokenness has touched your life. But Jesus has promised he will make that come untrue. That's what heaven is about. That's what we hope for. And the cross and the resurrection have like made that a sure fact. The hope of Christianity is not like, I hope so. Please, I just hope it'll happen. But it might not. It is a secured fact in Christ. We know that he will bring the creation back under his rule. Good old Samwise gets me. There is no other source of power that can offer this. I don't, I don't care what it is. I mean, those pithy statements that we looked at at the beginning, they didn't even have, they said it's just within you. That's kind of what they said. Like, you create yourself, it's just within you. But there's no power like Jesus to offer redemption and reconciliation, especially of this scope. The hope of Christianity is like no other hope. And people in our world, like young people especially, are looking for redemption. I mean, young people are so full of energy for a cause, and you're just like running after it. You love redemption. You want to see things redeemed. And that's good. Like, I think you're, you are imaging and, and portraying the image of God in that God wants to see things redeemed. But so often we try to do it in our own strength. We try to accomplish it ourselves, our own causes but the power is in the cross. I think about this, um, I mean, this is a really sad illustration, but just think about the political sphere in our country, right? Both sides of the aisle are promising redemption. It just sounds different, right? They're promising justice. They're promising peace, or maybe they're promising prosperity. And they've got slogans for all of that. And they're trying to say, I can do it. If you vote for me, I promise I can do it. 
but they never will. And they can't. I mean, of course, there are some um, political ideologies that are better than others. There's some leaders that are better than others in the political sphere, but they can never bring America under a peaceful, redemptive state under Christ. I mean, that's Jesus's role. And so in a sense, politics are always bankrupt to bring real redemption. Let me give you an illustration of just the bankruptcy of our own self to try to to try to redeem ourselves. And I'm not going to come out good in this story, so please have grace on me. Um, Jesus died for my sins, right? So, so I want to talk about um, when I was in high school and I was dating a girl. So you, you kind of remember my story. I was just full of lies. I was just a deceiver. That was my thing. I, I just lied and lied and lied. And But I was really finding my identity in dating. And so I... Amy McKee, she was my girlfriend um, for like a year and a half in high school. And she was amazing. Like she wanted to follow Christ. She was really great. She had great boundaries. She was um, just really kind and generous. And she didn't want to say I love you until we were engaged. Um, and I was so insecure and in trying to find my identity in her that I just like kept telling her I loved her until she told it to me back. I had to have, I was just like a leech. I just had to have love from her because I didn't know who I was. And I lied to her, uh, to her face. She didn't know. She was trying to walk with Christ, and I was not. And so my friends were drinking and smoking and partying, and I would just do that. And then I'd hide it from her, and then I'd just straight up lie to her and tell her I didn't do it. And this is not a good way to have a relationship, is it? It doesn't work very well. And so I'm sorry, um, all of the ladies in the room who have been lied to, I'm sorry that I did that. That was sin. And for that, I deserve hell. That's just true. There's no, there's no way around it. And guys, if you can relate with me, come on. Let's go to the feet of the cross, right? We need Jesus. So I was lying to Amy. And um, what's really weird about missionary kids, we lived in Nairobi together, but then, you know, she's going, she's, she was from Rochester, New York, so she was going to a, a college up there, and I'm from Kansas, so I'm going to go to Manhattan, and neither of us really know anybody there, and so it's just like our lives are about to fragment, and um, we were both really stressed about that, and so we're, like, our senior year was weird, right? It's like, are we going to try and keep dating? This is before cell phones existed, before the internet was really a thing. And so like long distance meant I bought a card that cost a lot of money and dialed a lot of numbers and like waited to see if she was there. And this just didn't happen. So our senior year, we're in this state and she finds out that I've been lying to her. And I don't know how she learned, probably from my friends. They just were like talk, telling a story about me being drunk or something. And... Yeah, she didn't, she didn't take it very well because I'd been lying to her for a while. And so she asked me, like, what's real? And I told her, and she broke up with me. And it was like I was already kind of fragmenting because I, I saw the transition ahead, and I just I couldn't handle it. So I was desperate. And so I kind of did what every desperate guy does. I like tried really hard to change and I was motivated. So my friends are smoking every day. So I just bought um, sunflower seeds and I'm sitting with my friends and I'm chewing sunflower seeds and they're smoking. I'm like, we're good. And then, you know, they're drinking. I'm like, I'm not going to drink like Amy's worth it. And so I 
convinced her, it's probably about a month, right? In high school, it feels like forever. But I convinced her, like, Amy, I'm a new man. Like, I choose sunflower seeds now. <laughs> like, I'm not doing that crap anymore, right? And so Amy, in just her sweet, the sweetness of her heart, she's like, okay, let's date again. Um, and we're still kind of funky, because what are we going to do in, when we graduate, right? But my sinfulness... And my, like, the cross, like, Christ was not in me at all. I was, I was dead. Ephesians 2, right? I was dead in my, my sins and my trespasses. And so I got what I needed, but she's back with me. And, like, immediately I started smoking and drinking and lying to her because I got what I needed. And it wasn't about being Christ to her at all. It was about what I needed. And you see that, like, my heart was just so broken. And there's more stories, you know, those are, yeah, this is like some of the, the, the lowest points in my life is, is how I treated her and how things ended and all of that. And so I need the cross. The power to redeem that part of my story is not within me, right? It's in the blood of Jesus because he died for my sin. And if I'm standing before God on my own merits, we're going to talk about Amy and I'm going to come up looking really bad, right? I don't deserve intimacy with God because of the things that I've done. And none of us do. And so redemption is not in us. We're like dead people apart from Christ. There's no power in dead people. It doesn't matter how much makeup you put on a corpse, it's still dead. Like when you go to a funeral, you put clothes on it, you try to make it look good so you can kind of remember the life, but but that's a dead person. And that's what Paul talks about us without Christ. We're like that. And if you try to change, like Venus Williams said, you're just like a corpse with more makeup on. There is no power for redemption apart from Christ. He's the only means of true redemption for all the brokenness in the world. 1 Corinthians 1.18, let's look at that. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And that's what I need. I th just even retelling some of my brokenness from high school, like I'm in an emotional place where I'm like, I need the cross. Like I am in great desperate need. It is something I cherish. And so we look to, cross, to, to, to the cross and to Christ for redemption. I'm all for counseling. I'm all for, for that. I'm all for discipline, for like inspiring yourself to do hard work, for setting goals, for having an alarm clock. I'm all for those things. We can do some things to try to grow. We have a, a role to play in our transformation, right? But the real power for change and redemption is found in Christ. His work, His spirit, His word, His conviction, His blood shed on the cross. I want to read you this quote from John Piper about the cross. Um, I think this is probably like the heart of this message. If, if you could take anything from this, I just would love for you to like take this from this message. Life is wasted if we do not grasp the glory of the cross. Cherish it for the treasure that it is and cleave to it as the highest price of every pleasure and the deepest comfort in every pain. 
What was once foolishness to us, a crucified God, must become our wisdom and our power and our only boast in this world. And so if there's one thing that this hymn can give you, Christ is preeminent over the new creation, it's that the cross, the blood of his cross, would just grow exponentially in your heart. And you would cherish it. You would cleave to it. You would go to it. And every time you see sinfulness in yourself, where you fall short of God's standard, you would just run to the cross and say, it's only by the blood of Jesus that I deserve any kind of love and intimacy with God. And that will bring change and growth and maturity in your life. So again, this series and this message, similar to this morning, there's not a whole lot of like practical application, but I'm going to try. I want you to, to remember what we're trying to do together is to see Christ in his rightful place and to worship him and bow our knee to him as preeminence over everything. And that includes any redemption that we experience. So the first response, I think, is, is similar to this morning, to live a life of gratitude for the cross. And here's an assignment I would give you um, for, for some of your quiet time tomorrow or some, some time tomorrow, you're going to have some reflection time then, is just sit with Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and then write your own story. So I kind of unloaded a little bit of my Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 story, like my deadness and how I followed Satan's ways. And just be honest, like think about your life. All right, before Jesus, how did I follow the ways of, the, of this world and of Satan? How was I deceived? How was I dead? What did that look like? And put some words to that. For me, it's like deceiving. It's like being totally and utterly self-consumed. So that's my assignment. And then, I mean, man, verse three, right? But God. So then just like write out, okay, how did, I, how did my heart become alive to the cross? And how, how God made me alive in Christ. I think that would be a great way to just like stir gratitude and worship for Christ. The second thing I would say is hope in Christ alone for redemption. This is a, a message. Remember the Colossian um, context, right? This letter was written in the context of messages that were diminishing Christ. And one of the messages I talked about in our first message was this message of kind of religious tolerance, right? That, that all paths lead to God, that as long as you're sincere in your religion, then that's good enough. Um, just this uh, semester, we, we had a, at K-State, we had an ice cream social. And I mean, it was, we, we try to do this really big thing. We give out, so like we have a dairy barn at K-State because why not, right? And so, um, so we have our own like K-State ice cream. And one of the flavors is like purple, and awesome, so cool, because our colors are purple, right? Go cats, right? Okay, so yes, we have purple pride ice cream. Anyway, so we do this thing. People in Kansas love ice cream. So we hand all these flyers and we're like, hey, free ice cream, free ice cream, free ice cream. And we get, I mean, I think this year we had a little bit over a thousand people just come, right? And they get free ice cream and then we worship and preach the gospel. And so I'm like hanging out there trying to meet tons of random people and having all these crazy conversations. I met a guy from Sri Lanka who had been at, at K-State for a couple years. And so he's really comfortable with like knowing what we were doing. He's like, yeah, thanks for the ice cream, you know. And so I asked him like, hey, what, what, uh, what do you believe? 
He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of Hindu, uh, but not really, which kind of works for Hinduism, I guess. And so then he's like, you know, Sri Lankan guy, he's like, you know, every religion's the same, right? We're all just trying to be good people. And man, that is totally religious tolerance, right? That is the message of religious tolerance. This is very alive and well among college students today. And it just diminishes the cross like crazy. And there's no room for that at all in biblical Christianity. It is not true. It's not true. And so I actually said, you know what? I was talking to this. I said, you know, I think the Bible really teaches something different. It kind of says, like, we can't be good enough. And he was like, really? It's like he never heard it before. Just, wow, that's fascinating. And then he's like, I'd like to talk to you about that some more. And then all of a sudden, like, he's like, oh, my, my friends need to eat. And, and they were gone. It was great. It's like, okay, bye. So you can pray for a Sri, Lank- Sri Lankan man from, from K-State if you want to. Jesus' claim leaves no, no door open for this message that diminishes Christ. Jesus is the only way to the Father. And there's no source of redemption apart from him. Religious performance won't do it. Religious um, sincerity won't do it. There's other messages, right? Like money can't redeem you. I think some people think, like, if I just get enough money, then I can redeem all my problems. Money will fix my problems. No, it, it won't. It actually just enhances your problems because it just, like, gives your sin nature more license to do whatever you want. Uh, you can't find the right guy or girl like, like what I was trying to do. I was just, I really believed this message that if I find a relationship, that will redeem my problems. And so I was just trying to find that. That became my idol. But let me tell you, it does not work. And God had to really break that down in me, hardcore. Um, you know, like chasing after success, finding the best job, um, being prestigious in your um, classes. Like none of this is going to fix you. But we go to all these things to try to fix ourselves. We put hope in things apart from Jesus try to fix our lives, but they're all bankrupt. Christ is the only answer. Okay, so the last thing I would say is um, leave behind the gospel of self. I kind of talked about this a little bit again on the first night. Um, and, and even with those, those like inspirational statements, right? It's just so self-centered. It's just all about defining myself and self-actualization, self-discovery, Self-help, self, self, self. We are so obsessed with ourselves. It's really sick. It's really sick. And, and this, um, this can really even seep into the way that we approach Christ. We just make it all about ourselves, not about him. This level of navel-gazing and narcissism and, and egotism, it brings no fulfillment. In fact, um, just what Robbie was talking about in his session, his workshop, I mean, like now more than ever, I think we're so focused on ourselves. More than ever, we are depressed and anxious and we have no footing and no grounding. We don't know who we are and we're just so inward focused. And the results of this self-gospel cannot be denied. Um, just a different part of my story after Christ. Um, I think because of being a missionary kid and growing up in a different culture and then being around um, Kansas people, I just, I was really insecure. I was insecure about like what I didn't know 
what I couldn't do, um, especially when it pertained to like being a man. And so I married a farm girl and the men in her life could do anything. Like her dad would just fix things like all the time and he never got sick. He's like a robot. I don't know how that works. <laughs> He's still like, okay, crazy. This is like totally not in my notes, but I think it's funny. Crazy story about her dad. He like was working with cattle and he like pulled his bicep so hard that there's like a whole, like a crater in his arm. And he's like, I'm not going to the doctor, right? And so he's just eating with his left hand. And one time at dinner, I don't know, like a week or two after he like tore his bicep, all of a sudden the muscle or whatever, it just went and like popped back together. And he was like, hey, I'm fine. (laughs) Like true story. I can't compete with that. <laughs> so all joking aside, like I totally, especially when I was like a sophomore in college, I'm a new believer and uh, sophomore, junior year, I was like beset with insecurity, just totally insecure, wrecked by it. And it, it just made me make everything in my life about myself. I was so worried, like, am I, am I man enough? Am I good enough? Can I do enough? And it took this moment um, with God where I was like totally broken because I, I didn't, I just always was so hard on myself, like always beating myself up for my failures. And uh, I, was on, I was on a summer trip. It was a, a second time. I actually went on four of them. So a lot of my stories involve um, doing a summer mission trip. So I was on one of those and they actually made me the leader of a team, but it was because at K-State we had like 50 people go. And so, I mean, it was an amazing year. And they kind of ran out of leaders. And they're like, well, Nate grew up a missionary kid, so let's make him a leader. And so I'm leading this team, but I really shouldn't, just my spiritual maturity. And I was so insecure. I made everything on that summer about myself. I just thought about, I'm I'm failing, I'm failing, I'm failing, I'm failing. And um, so I was actually leading the team with my wife, but I was dating someone else. And she was like, she's four years older than me. So she was on staff with Challenge, and I'm like a sophomore, after my sophomore year, and we're leading together. And um, we became really close friends through this experience. But she saw me at my lowest, and, and so she like organized the team, and she's like, hey, Nate's really struggling. Let's all write him encouraging notes and like put him around his room, and he'll find him. So sweet, right? But here's, what, here's how like self-centered I was. I find the letters, and, and it's like self-hatred because I know... Erica did that because I'm a failure. Like, if I was a good leader, she wouldn't do that. And I'm, so, I'm such a, I just like, I hated myself so much. And so I'm sitting in that room, I'm reading these letters, and I mean, the self-hatred was so thick. I, just, I was just crying because I felt like, I am such a loser that my team, I'm supposed to lead them, and they have to, like, encourage me. And there's a moment because in that spot, in that moment, I was alone in this room, I just felt like Jesus was on the bed next to me and he was saying, peace. I want to bring peace in your heart. And I'd just been reading in the Gospels where where Jesus had said those things, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you? And I mean, it was a moment. Like it it was like, okay, Lord, I got to get over this. And so then I processed that with my mentor. I talked to Bob Anderson. You guys know Bob from, from a different, yeah, Bob's great. And so I took this stuff to Bob, and and he sat there, and he was like, hmm, you know, what do you do? What do you do with a kid that's like that in his own head, right? 
And he's like, maybe you should just think about the first time you felt inadequate and just write about that with the Lord and just journal and ask God what he thinks about you. That was profound. So I went and I did that, and it was life-altering. Like, I met God. And I wouldn't say that I'm not insecure now, but man, the Lord has redeemed that part of my story. And I am no longer a slave to just thinking always, like, what do people think of me? Am I, am I failing? Am I good enough? So the Lord is so good, and he gives grace, and he helps us grow. But the power for redemption is in him, and we got to get over the gospel of self. There's no power in it. Okay, that's, that's what I want to say tonight. Um, I'm going to have the worship team come up, um, and I'm just going to close this way. Um, yeah, we've been talking about preeminence, right? That's been our theme, that, that Jesus is, he's over all. And this firstborn language, like, like he owns the creation. The creation is, he's the source of it. He's the goal of creation. Jesus sustains the creation. And then tonight's message, like any redemption at all is found in Christ. And it's promised and it's sure and it's through the cross. And so just as I've prayed over this retreat, I've prayed for you, um, some of you by name, just been praying for this weekend. I feel like, like this would be a great moment just to, to say, come to the cross. And how I want, I want that to look like some of you, I, I don't know where you're all at in your life. Like I know a lot of you have made a choice to follow Christ. You're committed to Jesus as your Lord. And so what does it mean to go to the cross? You know, maybe it's like me with my insecurity. You know there's this thing that's wrong and you're like, I need the blood of the cross for that thing. And so whatever that is, I want you to like prayerfully consider that and then talk to somebody on staff, like grab a staff member from your campus and just say, hey, let's talk about this. I need to process this in my life. Maybe it'll be like that moment that I had with Bob, right? Where I'm like just unloading my junk and, and he, he steered me right and it was life-changing. So think about that, consider that. What, what is Jesus calling you to for redemption? And then some of you maybe have, and you know, you're here and you know, like, I'm not a follower of Jesus. Like, I'm just kind of checking this thing out. And I just implore you, like, there's only redemption in the blood of Christ. That's where the power is for your life. And so just talk to a staff member from your campus. Um, seek out the truth of the gospel. And I just invite you, like, commit your life. Come along, come with me. Like, I'm a, I'm a lying, insecure dude that Jesus has saved. And you can, you can be a part of this church, a bunch of broken people whose head is perfect. We look to Christ. So I just want to invite you to that. Think about this. This can be a moment in your life. Like, God brought you to this place, and you, you didn't get here on accident. And so um, I don't want to put, like, pressure on a moment right now, but I want to implore you to, to talk to someone and process your own life through this stuff. So let me pray, and then we'll worship. Jesus, um, we do just want to come to you as our Redeemer. We know that all redemption finds its home in you. Jesus, thank you for the cross, that you have secured redemption for the deepest, darkest part of our lives when we were dead. And I pray for each person in here, for each woman and each man, God, just I know that you know their story, that you have, you have called them to, 
to yourself, that you are drawing them, God. And I just pray, Lord, that, that we would be defined by the cross, that we would cherish it, that we would love it, that we would find our lives defined in it. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone in here that's just having a moment where where you are working on their heart and they want to believe, they want to repent and believe and follow you. Jesus, I just pray that that, that, would, that would come. That there would be that moment of salvation in this room. We love you, God. We pray all that in Jesus' name.